0: What's up, Livestock Live? This is Jose Slyther from California. Hello, Livestock Live. My name is Shawna Trulock and I'm from California. My biggest accomplishment is winning a showmanship in Louisville and winning showmanship in Arizona Nationals this past year. My biggest accomplishment showing Livestock has been winning the Reserve Supreme Champion Market Hog at County Fair. The best part about showing for me is going to all the different fairgrounds and all the different cities, and meeting all the new people. Thank you. Bye. My favorite thing about showing livestock on the West Coast is hanging out with family and friends at livestock shows.
1: Hello, and welcome to Livestock Live. This is your host, Steve Shimp. I am with Isaac Lewis.
2: What's going on, guys? What's up, man? How are you? Oh, pretty good. Just trying to uh, find a spot where I can get some better Wi-Fi here because uh, my uh, service out here sucks. So uh, I don't recommend having Verizon wireless out in the country because it's terrible. Uh, Where's Kyle today?
1: I I got nothing. He said that he's going to try to log in here in just a little bit. However, that doesn't mean that we don't have
2: four guests. That is true. He's probably, I want to say a quick thing about Kyle, he's probably out cleaning pens uh, because his daddy, uh, Ernest, told him to get out there and do some pig work, so he's going to miss this episode.
1: (laughs) So speaking of Ernest, he is one of our guests today, and I'm super juiced about having him on, to be totally honest. I talk to Ernest a couple times a week, and Most of the time that we talk, he is driving to go look at pigs, and it's 30 to 45 minutes or an hour or two conversation, and 90% of the time, it has absolutely nothing to do with livestock. So, Ernest, uh, welcome on. Tell me a little bit about yourself and the listeners about yourself, and then uh, Isaac's going to go ahead and introduce the other guest.
3: I'm a juice to be on your guys' podcast. And, uh, you know, such a formal and professional outfit you guys run, (laughs) you know, no, Kyle can't see Isaac (laughs) got you here. But uh, no, I mean, I'm I'm pumped, man. I I like things like this. I've done them before. And, um, you know, anytime you can see or pick something up from somebody else out there, it's it's always fun. So um, I've been raising and selling show pigs for about 17 years now. And uh, it's all I've ever really done since I was three. I had a job one time for three weeks at a gas station, and uh, I was wearing my belt buckle, and I leaned over on a guy's Ferrari and I scratched it, and I got in such huge trouble. And he also said he wouldn't give me time off to go to the county fair. So I just picked up really quickly there that like, hey man, I'm either going to figure out how to trade show pigs and do the pig stuff, or I'm going to have to go out and get a real job out there someday. And uh, so it's it's all I've ever done, and I have a wife, Marissa who's you know the best in the world the best mom ever and then my daughter Denver uh, Tatum and Mackenzie. I got twin three-year-olds they're about to be twin or three-year-olds here on February 21st and uh, you know I'm out here in Ada Oklahoma now I was in Napa California and um, you know I'm excited to be on so I'll let you guys introduce Kenneth
2: for sure yeah Ernest I think you like to be on these platforms you like to hear yourself talk a little bit huh No, no so comments, you, you, or... you,
3: you see how I made that smooth exit right there and just went <laughs> right to Kenneth? See, you're actually right, but I'm learning as I get older. See, I just <laughs> step to the left now. I'm getting wiser in my old age.
2: So, uh, yeah, our, our second guest on today is uh, Kenny Cleveland uh, from Bakersfield, California. Um, you know, gr- growing up in this industry, I always kind of saw Kenny around, and uh, I was pretty involved in the sheep industry and, and showed, you know, quite a, quite a bit of sheep. Of sheep growing up, and didn't really know Kenny till I kinda switched sides and uh, started uh, getting pretty serious into the show pig thing and um he's he's really close friends with Adam and Rex Mendoza, which uh you know have done a lot for me and and that's how I've gotten introduced to Kenny and uh Kenny appreciate you uh jumping on and uh let's get this thing started.
4: yeah, appreciate you guys having me um I will not be as long winded as Ernest today, I can promise you that, but um I didn't get started into the pig deal till I was a sophomore in high school. Uh, Act teacher asked, "Who wants to?" If, if anyone wanted to raise a pig, and I thought, "Well, hell, that would be fun." And uh, it's been—I don't know—we're getting close to 20 years now since that, and uh, it's been a long time since we haven't had one on feed. So I raised a few for a little while, and then decided I didn't uh, didn't have enough time to do that the way I wanted it to be done, and work full time. So. I just help a handful of families down here and a couple in Northern California. And, uh, good to see you knuckleheads when we go to shows.
1: Kenny, thanks for coming on. I, uh, you know, I haven't had very many interactions with you and, and so I was kind of, I was kind of like, I was trying to research like a little bit about our guests and I didn't know that you were such a big fisherman and, you know, that's something really, really close to me. I love fishing. And, uh, so I guess one of my, my questions just specifically to you, because I think it's so funny is, were you, are you the, the walleye guy that they would be yelling at, or would you be the walleye guy that's yelling? Um, well,
4: I guess, uh, I don't know. I wouldn't be getting yelled at. That's for sure. Um, that deal is a bad deal, man. Um,
2: what a terrible no. question, Steve.
4: Yeah, but uh, uh, to answer, I mean, yeah, I wouldn't be getting yelled at. That, uh, But it does happen more than people think or more than people realize. That kind of dumb stuff.
1: I just thought that that was such a good question to start us off on this podcast. <laughs> uh, Ernest hit me up uh, a couple weeks ago and... He's like, hey, I'm willing to answer pretty much any question that you're willing to ask on this podcast. And I was like, man, do I have a whole bunch? And uh, so I started compiling a list together and I called Isaac and said, hey, I got the perfect guy. We're going to have Ernest on. And uh, he said that I get free access. And he's like, oh, my God, I have to have Kenny on because those two together are going to be are going to be awesome. So uh I guess we'll kind of just get get into it a little bit. Um we'll start with Ernest on this one and then we'll go to Kenny. So Ernest, you're now in the Midwest. Why do why's the Midwest get all the good pigs first and then they head west?
3: Um You know, first off, it's just like population. You know, you you look at how many people are pig breeders in the Midwest, and you, you look at how many people are pig breeders in the South. And, you know, it's like today, you know, I could drive around and go to four or five farms in a day of people who are extremely accomplished. And that's not saying that there aren't accomplished pig breeders in California, but there's less. It's a numbers game, you know. So when California needs X amount of numbers, and they can only supply why you gotta go elsewhere to get those. So you think about the people who go back east to go get those animals and the time it takes. You know, you got individuals, you know, out there who who do it at a at a professional level. And then you have people who like to go back there and get a set or two every year. And when you go back there, you know you're kind of on their turf. And you know, whenever I think of this question, I know kind of where you're coming, you kinda wanna know how does the flow of animals, you know, how do those decisions get made? How do you get good ones? you know, where do the good ones go, things of that nature. When I first started, I I would maybe just help like a, a couple local counties. And then when we got a little bit better at some of those local counties, we started doing a little bit better at like big jackpot shows, big state fairs. Then maybe you go to a national show and you pin next to someone and they're like, Hey, would you help me find an the animal? They, they see your animal. Well, once you get to any legitimate, level in terms of you can actually kind of pick like, Oh, I got a really good one here. Where can I go with it? Should I go to Sonoma County fair with it? Or should I send this to Colorado state fair? Well, what's the, what's the answer? Everyone's going to say, Oh, you want to win the state fair. So one of the things I figured out really early on for me in terms of boosting what I wanted to do was I was going to go back there and find those really good animals. And I was going to bring them back to California and I was going to show them at mid state fair. I was going to show them at Sonoma County. I was going to show them at Santa Barbara. I was going to show them at Napa. And it's no different than some of the families we had showing at the state level. We would show at Bonanza, and that judge in the backdrop would go, why, why isn't this one going to OIE? Why isn't this going, going to Houston? And I would always tell those people, that this is the hog that this family wanted, and this is what it took to win this show. And you can sit there and think about, oh, yeah, you could go win, which at that time I didn't have families at the, that, those shows anyways. But the, the 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 industry is always thinking of like what I would call those sexy, sexy shows to win. And for a while, California wasn't, you know, I would say sexy. But like now, you know, like you see the marketing revival does. You see the marketing that CYE does. Our shows are getting sexier. Our families are getting more talented. Our pigs are getting better on the West Coast. It's not where I think back to like when Kenneth showed, uh, Kenneth lived in an era, you know, and I'm not going to speak for him, but, but I know I'm right in what I'm saying. Kenneth raised his own reserve grand champion at the California State Fair. You don't see a lot of kids that take up the project, like he said, as a sophomore and go to the state, the reserve grand state fair level and, and, and figure it out as a young man trying. With the way it's professionalized now and how hard and how competitive it is now, you need to have a Kenneth Cleveland. You need to have an Adam O'Rex. You need to have an Isaac Lewis. You need to have a Jack O'Dell. You need to have a Pete Gomez. You need to have a Noah Typen. You need to have some of these talented people on your side. So when you're talking about why all the animals come from the Southwest and why all of them come from the Midwest, it's because those are where the people who know the most and it's the most dense in population – And what I've always found the biggest challenge being from California is, is getting those people to buy into the shows that you want. And like I said, I think it's easier now, but back in the day, they did not want to see, I remember buying some of those animals. They didn't want to see some of those animals coming from there going all the way up. You got to have people kind of on your side in terms of wanting to see you win those shows too, but then they might have to give one up to win maybe one of like their, their home shows or one of their more well-known shows in their area.
4: Yeah, I agree with what Ernest said there. I think it's, you know, especially back in the day, it was like, why do we want to send out a barrel that we think can win OIE to go win Western Bonanza? Western Bonanza doesn't mean anything to those guys. You know, same thing with Texas majors. It's just at that point in time, we we weren't on the radar. Um, I think, as like Ernest says, with our shows growing and evolving, now we're paying, you know, I think the revival's paying five thousand dollars a day to win, um, which is a lot of money for a, you know, a jackpot. Um, like you said, it's the shows are bigger, they're better, there's more attention to them, and I think honestly, what plays a, a plays a part in us getting some of the better ones is having guys like Ernest or Adam and Rex, you know, whoever else runs back there a bunch, and brings some of those back out here. But it's also the money that is being spent in California now versus what it was ten, fifteen 15 years ago. I mean, the money is substantially larger being spent from here, money that's going out of state and in state also. But I think it's, you know, it all kind of goes hand in hand. But I think, you know, going back to the original question, why do the, you know, why do the Midwest get the better ones? Is I think there's still a part where those guys care more about winning their local deals than they do about winning out here for the most part. But online sales, guys going back there and getting them and bringing them out, I think that has part in us getting a few more of the elite ones out here than we used to.
2: Yeah, for sure. I'd say both of you guys, you know, hit that nail right on the head. Um, You know, good, good feedback from, you know, Kenny, I know you travel out there every once in a while and find some, but then, you know, you got Adam and Rex that are, that are always looking in earnest. You you live back there. You live in the heart of that, and and it's pretty easy for you to drive down the road and and you know pick show pigs out and send them out to California. Um, I want to dive right into this deal. Um, let's talk some politics. Do do they exist? Um, what's the ex- extent of politics? Um, and then let's talk uh, after you guys answer that question. You know, I want to hear your guys' opinion on on what one of the most political shows uh, out here on the West Coast is?
4: Um, I mean, politics 100% exist. Um, And to the extent, I mean, there's some guys that don't care. I mean, there's some guys that have been out here that have sold pigs for a lot of money and point blank used them and told everybody on the mic that they were going to use them. I mean, if you can go to bed at night and rest your head and be okay with it, then, you know, I mean, it's good for you. Um, And there's guys that, you know, don't care. Um, they're going to use guys that have them in their, their sales or buy pigs from them and spend a bunch of money for them and they're going to use them, you know, whether they look dumb doing it or not. Um, so yeah, they for sure exist. Um, I mean, I don't think there's anyone that has this deal that's serious that, or that takes this deal seriously, that has friends that sort shows that haven't gotten, you know, the nod when it's close I mean, if anyone on this podcast says that they, they haven't, they're probably not being real truthful. Um, But, you know, I mean, it's, it's a part of the game. Um, Is it right? Yeah, probably not, but it is a part of the game. Um, As far as, I mean, to me on what the most political show is, I don't know if there's one in particular that's most more political than others, but I guess it goes on who's sorting them. I mean, there's guys that are, everybody knows it's going to be who their buddy is that wins and i mean it's pretty easy to see that when they release judges but so i don't know that it's necessarily a specific show that's the most political rather than who's sorting them that kind of dictates the which ones are the most political
3: you know um, if someone thinks politics doesn't exist they're crazy i mean first off i mean uh, it 100 percent exists you know and and I think with politics, you gotta look at it a couple different ways. First off, the number one way of looking at politics is like, well, if you're on the right side of it, you're not gonna see it. You're gonna, you know, you're gonna let it happen and you're gonna tell yourself you think you won that day or did well that day. And sometimes politics doesn't always necessarily mean you're gonna win the show. You know, I've seen people in a weak class probably should have got fourth, but they get a class winner that day and it is kind of light maybe it it makes their day a little better, you know, and, and they were they were in an advantageous position. But, um, I think politics is is something we have to live with with everything and and politics and and who navigates it the best, not necessarily who benefits from it the best, but whoever navigates it the best is um, is gonna ultimately preserve their their uh, their uh, what's the correct word I want to use, it's their uh, reputation. You're gonna preserve your reputation the best if you can navigate politics. And what I mean by that is is when it happens, You just got to shut your mouth and accept that it happened and you got to move on and you got to be better from it. Like my first seven or eight years doing this, I helped one family and we bought pigs from one farm. We had almost legitimately no political advantage because if we were smart, we would have been buying pigs from a bunch of different places and cross kind of, you know, helping ourselves. Oh, we'll go here. We'll go there. This guy judges. this show, this guy judges that show. And, and, you know, we could have, we could have, looking back on it, I didn't know enough about politics at that time, but we could have done it that way. Well, there'd be some days we'd do well, there'd be some days we'd do bad, but I knew at the end of the day, we weren't winning because like, oh yeah, I bought pigs from that guy or I'm, I'm in this cell with this guy. Like we were the favorite when we went to shows. So when I started helping what I would call families and kind of at some different levels and some different situations, I really learned one thing. You better be great. You better go out there and remove all doubt and, and and when we think all of us, you know, I think of Kenneth, I think of Isaac, I think of Steve, when you think of showing the best animals you've ever had, for some reason, those ones are so good in your mind that pol- you don't think politics going to beat you with those ones. When I think of the best ones I've ever been associated with, I don't care what was going on politically out there. That animal was going to do well. Now, Grand Champion, Reserve Grand Champion, big, big show, you get all the way up there and you fall short. I mean, it's tough, but politics are real and you got to be able to preserve your reputation when it's all over because I personally have never yelled at a judge. I've never uh been disrespectful to a judge in photos afterwards. There's no I've seen people get shoulder checked uh by you know, I saw a guy shoulder check a judge at LSU one year in photos. And and I've seen lots of stuff said to judges like, you know, um judge was going to take a picture with a reserve grand one year. And I saw a guy say, Hey, we don't want the judge in the photo. And, and I've seen people, you know, mouth the judges at the ringside and, you know, I've seen a lot of stuff, but at the end of the day, it's not going to change anything. Like you got to figure out how to go home and you got to be better. And if you're just going to wind about the politics, the first thing you got to realize they're never going to go away. They will never go away. So if you don't learn how to deal with it, and learn how to work around it. And make yourself better. And try to figure out how to make your animal bulletproof. Then uh, then you're going to get swallowed up by it. And you're going to end up uh, doing something that really hurts your reputation. And now it's not just politics that are against you. Everyone's against you because they got the ammunition of when you
1: acted like an idiot. I thought you said that pretty perfectly. Um, I remember one time you told me you got to start off trying to win a class and then you are trying to get weighed and then win a class and go on. And, and you said, you got to have the right animal. You got to have the right showman. You got to show it the right way and you got to have the right person spraying it off. And, and this is when I, you know, we very first started having a, having somebody like help us. And we've never been, been grand or reserved at, at a big show or or a show in general, and in a uh, that really has nothing to do with with the animals that we get. It just it just hasn't really hasn't really worked. But when you first said that, I was like, "What? Like politics really happened Just because I haven't been around you know livestock, and then and then yeah, there's some shows that you go to, and you're like, "Wow!" Like kind of what. Kenny referenced, um, I was at that show and I was like, I was like, dude, I was crazy. Um, so when we talk about, when we talk about shows, what do you think the hardest show to win on the West coast is and why?
3: You know, when I, when I think of shows on the West coast, um, just like first off growing up, I wanted to win the Western Bonanza. Uh, It's like that was the show that I wanted to win, and that was the show that mattered. And uh, I mean, I kind of obsessed over that. And the reason why is because that was the first non-show, non-Napa fair that I ever did well at. And then the second show I wanted to do well at was I wanted to make the dirt at California California State Fair. In my mind at the time when I was young, was actually too big for me to think about winning it. So like, like I remember starting with Rico, we just wanted to make the dirt. Like if we could just make the dirt, like that that could be like a starting point. Then in the last four or five years, you know, revival has has stepped in and and um, created. I, I feel like they're unique, you know. That's like such a unique show. They just market their show so well. Like I think their marketing on that show is just like lights out. And then CYE feels very professional. And I'm not saying revival and bonanza and state fair aren't professional, but I don't know, CYE just feels like like you're at the big leagues personally. And and I don't know if it's the limo and and just the that grand drive setting, but that setting's pretty freaking unbelievable. And um I, I I haven't been able to really field a competitive pig at Revival yet. It's just not kind of come together. Um we we've had we've been fortunate to win Bonanza and and CYE and State Fair. And when I really think about, like, the show that's the most competitive to win, it's, uh, it's CYE. I-, I believe that's the show right now that, number one, it's a market dog show. but and Revival, you can win it with a little one, or you can do well with a little one. I'm not taking away anything from a little pig that can do well at a show, but there's something to be said about an animal that, that goes the distance and makes it to that 260 to 280-pound range and it has all the bells and whistles to dominate a hog show that day on that day. It's hard. And, and like, when I think about what's one revival, you know, like a, a pretty big hog one at one year and, and, and a pretty old hog one at one year, and, you know, you got, you got a lot of different flavors because that's a jackpot show. They're all eligible to show that, that, that kind of uh, spectrum, in my opinion, does not, it's, I'm not saying that show is easy to win. Don't don't know. We can mince my words. I'm saying that spectrum allows you a different opportunity. If you want to go win CYE, you got to have the best 250 to 280-pound crossbred barrel dialed in in early August in the state of California on that day. No 320-pounders, no 50-pounders, no really good 180-pounders that's just not messed up. Can we cuss on this or no? Can we cuss? or no? No. No effed up. No pigs that aren't effed up yet, <laughs> you know. You know what I'm saying? They they don't got their problems showing quite yet at 180 pounds, 200 pounds. So uh, so CYE, you know, um, you know uh, Ava and Jack. That one year we did really well there. Um, we had grand and bronze. I think back to the quality of those barrows and and what it took to dial them in. And both them were very different. Um, you know, Jack's barrow was bronze that day because he was a 294 seven pound barrow and he just couldn't be full enough in class and that cost him from beating the reserve grand which beat him in class and beat him in division and then both of those animals got beat because one was just dead on at 270 pounds that day so like the hairs that separate great market hogs and great barrow shows uh i believe is what really creates the men from the women in this whole project
4: I don't disagree, but I guess I have a different take on it. Um, I think on shows that where there is a uh, ownership deadline. I think CYE is the hardest to win. Um, For me, the hardest to win right now uh, is the revival just because you you can own them for 12 hours. They can show up that morning and you know what I mean? You just got to pay your entry fee. And when they get here, they get here. There's no, you know, there's no entry. There's no ownership deadline, right, wrong, or indifferent. So that time of year, there's a lot of barrels or gilts that are shown in the mid you know, Oklahoma, Texas area that get brought out here and it's not against the rules. So I think that's to me there's a it's hard to compete with that um, and just because there's so many animals back there that guys can sort through and sift through and Throw them on a trailer and come. Um, and that's not to say you can't win it from out here. I mean, I think we've been reserved granted third overall in that deal um, with 150 pounders. Um, but I think that aspect of it's open to the world makes it hard to win. I think when you put an ownership deadline on it, I think it's, I agree with Ernest, it's easy to say CYE is the hardest to win. Um, I would say 10 years ago, State Fair was the hardest to win because um, that's what everyone was shooting for. It's kind of lost its glamour, and CYE kind of taking that deal over, um, just ran better, I think. More professional, like Ernest said, and it's just a bigger spotlight on it. Um, but for me, the hardest show to win is revival just based on there's no ownership deadline, so they can come come and go as they please and get here whenever they want.
2: Yeah absolutely I think you guys but you know there's two different ways to look at this deal I mean you talk about CYE and Ernest you said you know you're you're competing against Barrows that are you know 240 pounds and 280 pounds and then you go to a jackpot like the Revival and I mean there's little ones that are you know youthful and fresh and and ready to rock and roll and in their prime and then there's you know big ones that are you know still out there winning every other weekend and um, you know that looked good, so it, it definitely is a you know it's a gamble. depend Depending on how you want to look at it, you know, there those are obviously two of the tougher shows in the state of California that are a, a challenge to to win. So, so um, we we talk we talk about you know you know a few of the hardest shows to win out here and why. And um, Steve, you've got a question on here. Um, you want to go ahead and read that question. Um. <clears throat>
1: so unfiltered so who do you think the top three judges from the west coast are and why so we uh we made the trip to expo this year and um the mendez brothers were judging showmanship i know that um G is judged the market show i think james has judged the market show there's just i mean there's a lot of people from from this area so i'll just curious who your who your thoughts were about who were the best judges from here and
3: I think pig wise you know I always I'm gonna I'm gonna kind of break this up into three parts I think one you got to give respect to Ryan Wagey you know I really respect what Ryan did over his career you know I worked for him for like three or four months got to know him you know pretty well and uh I think back to you know just kind of his era and and what he did and all the shows he won, and I even think you know with his kids coming up you know and and showing and, and them doing really well at the county and the state and and when they show at the regional shows and jSA, that guy, whenever he decides to be the guy, is one of the most talented people I've ever seen on the west coast um, still, I still have a couple of his pigs when I was around there as some of, like, the top 10, top 15 best pigs I've ever seen. So I would say Wagey won for me, you know, unbelievable hog judge. You know, I I really respect Adam Mendoza. You know, I, I know he maybe doesn't get asked to judge, like, the big, biggest shows. I know there's other people that have judged probably bigger shows than him, but I know he's judging a lot, and I know he gets around, and I know every time he judges, I got a call last year. I think he did, like, a Florida jackpot show in the last, like, two years. I got a call from a guy that I really respect and know from Georgia. He said, Adam did an incredible job and, you know, should judge more big shows. So, so I'd put Adam in there and, you know, my third from a hog judge standpoint, you know, I'd love to pick a young guy, you know um, I don't necessarily know a young guy, maybe coming up that's, that stuck out to me. Um, you know, I know there's some other options out there that, that you could pick, but maybe just don't pick, you know, my, the style of pigs that I like. Um, but uh, I don't know if I can come up with three, but uh, those, those two, you know what, actually I do have a third, actually. I think Brandon Machado is a talent. And, and I think Machado is, is maybe, you know, people are going to not like the way he, he kind of gives his opinion. Cause when Brandon gives his opinion, he's so confident in what he says. And how he says it, it bothers people. Like, oh, he thinks he's a know-it-all or he thinks he knows everything. No, he's pretty damn good, actually. But he just gives it in a way where you don't want to be his buddy or back him up on it. But I would actually put Machado in in that top three. And, um, you know, I think a lot of Brandon. And and I think he's really talented.
1: You know, Brandon judged uh, cattle at our county fair last year. And I thought he did such a good job. And every kid that walked out of the ring thought that he did such a good job. And there was a lot of parents that really disliked exactly what you said. Um, He's confident in his reasons. He says it confidently. and, And that was pretty much just the way it was. And he ended up picking two calves at a county fair that you know, color wise and that kind of stuff didn't really match, and and everybody said, "Well, they don't look alike." And all right, they don't look alike, but uh, every every kid that I talked to thought that thought that he was just so nice, he was super efficient. So for sure, shout out to Brandon for sure.
4: Yeah, Brandon's head's gonna get big because Ernest uh, stole what I thought was gonna be like my sleeper in that deal and Brandon and I, I don't think Brandon gets as much uh, credit as he should for being pretty good at sorting hogs, just because he, he hasn't been in them for very long. Um, he's trying to raise some, but uh, hopefully that goes a little better for him here in the future. But uh, no, I think, I um, mean, Ernest are going to sound a lot alike on this deal in our top three or not. I shouldn't say top three, the three that come to mind on Ryan and Adam for, you know, making it for as long as they have on that deal. And, you know, I mean, I think you know. You talk guys that have guys that have gone through and judged at the highest level. I mean, I don't think you can leave James out on that. And I mean, I don't. You know, there's probably some guys that you know wouldn't put him on a list just because he doesn't pick the type and kind that they like. But I don't think that takes away from you know what he's been able to judge and you know he's judged the majors in Texas and everything. And you know, Adam, um, like. Ernest said, Adam hasn't got that chance yet, but he sure deserves it. Um, and then Ryan's been around forever and made it through everything that this thing could throw at him, and he's still here. So, I mean, I think those three or four guys there are kind of where you need to be on, you know, the top end of that deal.
2: And I think you guys are leaving a a pretty good one out, uh, Jared Lamley there at uh, Sierra Nevada Farms. Um, he does, I mean, he does a good job, and and the thing that I think that's important, especially you know, if you want to just talk about county fairs in California, is being consistent, right? Um, Kenny, you can probably agree with me. I mean, you know, I, I know I've watched Jared Judge once or twice, and I mean, you can you can pretty much read what he's going to do at the beginning of the day, and uh, take one back the following year, and I mean, you can you can kind of read Jared as about as good as you can read any of them. Um, but I, I think Jared uh, Lamley uh, there Sierra Nevada Farms, he he's definitely uh, one that you know, should be uh, up there with those guys. So um, moving on from that, we've got a Kyle O'Dell actually put a question in here and um, he starts off the question with fake money. Everybody talks about it. Can we tuss and discuss the ins and outs of $60,000 barrows, $75,000 gilts and why it happens in your guys' opinion? And are these breeders, are they paying the commission? um on those pigs and is that a story for that litter um so are those guys able to you know sell one that that's high and you know be able to say well this was a high seller out of you know this sow or at this sale and this one's the mate to this one um kenny give me your uh, your thoughts on that
4: yeah i mean i definitely think there's fake money that gets played in that deal and things get ran up but i mean I, also it's not I mean, as crazy as it sounds, it's not a, uncommon anymore to see barrows bring twenty or thirty thousand, um, gilts bringing you know thirty to sixty to a hundred thousand dollars as baby pigs. Um, now, when they get to like a, a breeding gilt sale, like they've got an Arizona or CYE, and these things bring a hundred thousand dollars, and it goes back to the guy that raises it. That like, yeah, I mean, I guess it's cool. I don't know what the point is. I mean, you just pay $12,000 in commission for what to put it on an ad. Um, I don't, I don't understand that part of it, but I also don't have an extra $12,000 just to, to make a story up. Um, but if guys want to pay $12,000 in commission, like, Hey, it's cool. It goes back to the kids at some point, um, you know, sell, sell, goes back into the sale money or whatever, um, but yeah, I mean, it, it's definitely there. I don't know. I mean, advertisement, I guess, is the only thing it could come back to. Is you know, this litter at grossed one hundred twenty thousand dollars or whatever. And uh but I don't know. Ernest might know. Might have more hands on that. Just being back there where he is, and you know, advertise the advertisement side of it might be a little. He might have a little better take on it. <laughs>
3: You know, I, I honestly never really paid attention to that stuff much because whether it's real or not, I didn't get the animal. I mean, if, if it was if it was selling for a bunch of money, then I wasn't going to click on it. I mean, because if I clicked on it and I won the bid, I, they'd probably want the money from me. <laughs> and then I'd be like, hey, I ain't got that money. I shouldn't have been screwing around. But I I really think like, you know, it's like hype, you know, or like let's hypothetically say us like we really do we all really like to pig a bunch and we really did want to spend 50 grand on it chances are that pig's probably not going to feed okay like let's be honest like it's a show pig okay well if you paid a breeder 50 grand are you really are you really spending 50 grand on that pig or are you investing into that breeder because the way i look at it is you think that breeder is going to leave you hanging you think he's going to leave you hanging for the next set? You think he's going to think about you for a good hog down the road? Yeah. So, like, I think when some of these numbers get thrown out, I think it's an investment in these herds, these really elite herds. And and there's people that are playing at an economical economic value that's clearly at a high, high level. And that number's not scary to them. And then and then from the marketing, hell yeah, I think there's some marketing games being played. You know, they want, oh, man, this pig sold for 34000 This pig sold for 27000 because when that happens, everybody screenshots it, sends it around. It's like, oh, so and so sold this one, you know. But the reality is, how many times do we see these really expensive animals sell, and do we ever see them win? Extremely rare, extremely, extremely rare. So, but yet, we always hear about the story of like the skinny one that, oh yeah, this little skinny oney. You know, a, a elephant sat on it, and it like half crushed it, and its leg didn't work, and we nursed it back to life. They got sick and almost died. It's 11 months old, and we won Arizona National with it. I mean, that's the story we hear. How often do we ever hear, yeah, we bought this one for $79,000 in, in Iowa, and yeah, we won 19 shows with it? So... Really, the most we ever hear about those expensive pigs is the day they sell. And then, really, after that, you don't ever really hear from them after that. I mean, you know, the, the good-built third litter mate in, in the litter ends up feeding, and he was like 2200 and, you know, some ag kid bought it, and and that's the one that wins. So, so there's fake money. There's games being played. But putting your, you know, letting your eye go to the good stock, the ones that are going to feed, the feeding hogs, those are still the ones that, that uh, you know, that find their way to the top. The 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 wild, crazy, tricked out ones, you know, that sell for a crazy amount of money. There's so much pressure on those animals, and it's such a hard way to start that I I, I really feel like they just don't win very much. And um and if they did, then we'd hear about it on a consistent basis, and it would be like a thing. And I honestly think it would ruin the industry because because then people would lit- literally think like if I can't buy a twenty five thousand dollar barrel. I can't win a show, but no one in this chat really believes they need a $25,000 barrel because they know as long as they get a good one that they feel comfortable about, they can go to any show and compete and and show against anybody. So uh, the, the expensive pig is a cute story to begin, but not something that's found its way to be consistent in our industry.
1: Thank you guys. Both covered that um, perfectly. I thought it was really good. So... <sighs> A couple years ago, I guess it was the first year, the Pig Planet and Purple Circle Magazine came out with the top 30 under 30. And that year, Blake Goss had a ton of national wins and was basically, like, the up-and-coming, like, guy. And they left him off this list. Ernest, you made a pretty big, um, like, Facebook comment about it, I remember. So do you think that these purple circle or, or like, you know, best of the barn and that kind of thing, do you think it's just a popularity contest or, or do you think people vote like honestly, or what's your, what's your opinion on that kind of stuff?
3: You know, I think it's kind of like these podcasts, you know, I think it's like anything, our industry's trying to do stuff to generate, you know, some excitement generate some you know some uh you know just some some activity and uh, every once in a while people see things in other industries like for example that's popular in like Forbes magazine and um you know it's like a 30 under 30 most talented this or that and um you know I, I actually have a little story I can tell you about that 30 under 30 and I give the guy who did it credit he actually reached out to me and was like, hey, man, I, I see what you're saying. And we just dis- – we I made some points, uh, you know. Um, but I remember at the time, and I still feel the same way, and and Blake's obviously proved that over with what he's done. Um, I remember talking to Blake when he was like 16 years old. And I just thought at the time, he's the most talented pig person. You know, him and Aaron Cobb, the most talented pig people that I've ever been around, that I've ever talked to. And like in this industry, it's like, Oh yeah. So-and-so is just blowing smoke up. So-and-so it's like, whatever. You know what I mean? Go look at pedigrees, go look at shows one, go look at, see, you know, we can have our opinions, personal opinions about people, but go put blank resumes down on a table. And, um, and I promise you, when you get to the end, you're going to look at the resume of of Blake at his age and, you know, Aaron at his age. And and you're going to say, Whoa, these guys are really talented. So, I think when these things are made, I think people do it, but they maybe don't actually do all the research or there's not like a real defined system of really coming up with like how it should actually be done. Like they're so excited with the idea. And honestly, that 30 under 30 got a ton of engagement and like a lot of people were into it. And and all the people that were on that list were very talented. Like the reality is there's probably 100 really talented kids under 30 at that time. You know, so someone's going to have to get left off. But um, I think things like that, at the end of the day, they're never personal. They, they're, they're good activity, good engagement, just like you guys starting a podcast. You guys want to ask questions. You're going to have people on. You know, me and me and Kenneth are going to be on here, and then you're going to have some new people on, and they're going to say completely different stuff than us. And these will be fun things for people to pop on while they're on the road, going to work or doing something. Or not catching fish out on the lake. And at the end of the day, they will be able to, you know, learn something new from someone and and, and that's really it. But uh I don't think there's like like real scientific way a lot of our of our engagement is created in, in, in livestock social.
4: Uh for me, I don't know who made the list or whatever, but I mean I'd keep it simple. If you didn't put it if you didn't put Blake on the list, that was dumb. I'm not saying that guy's dumb. I'm just saying that's dumb to not put that guy on the list. I mean, especially fast forward how many ever years it's been. Like, how many major shows throughout the year do you happen that you don't see that guy's name on? He either placed it, fed it, bred it, whatever. He's in the backdrop of a picture at every major show in the country. Um, So, yeah, I'm not saying the guy who made the list is dumb. It was just dumb not
1: to put him on it.
2: Yeah, their predictions were off, weren't they?
1: Yeah. He ended up making the list the uh, next year and uh Jimmy and his wife also made the list. I believe it was the same exact year.
2: But Isaac, good. So um moving forward here Earn uh, I know this kind of this goes I guess it goes towards both of you guys um when you take a jock or a fitter um or a helping hand to a show, to a jackpot, what are the highs and lows and what are the daily rates of it? What do you guys expect those families um, to kick back down to you? What, what are the expectations?
4: Um, I, I don't know. For me, I guess there's a lot of variation in there and where that person is as far as, you know, is it their day job? Is it what they do for a living? Are they just getting started? Are they just helping get stuff fitted? Um, I mean, I think you could range anywhere from, you cover, cover the room and expenses to, I mean, I'm sure there's guys that get $1,000 a day. Hell, I don't know. Um, I'm probably the cheap one on the end of this deal. Um, but I don't know. Like I said, I think it's a lot of variation in what help you are as far as how involved you are and making decisions on, you know, all that stuff. But I not That's where I'm at with it. I think there's a lot of variation anywhere from covering expenses to, Quite a bit of money a day, and I think most of that or a lot of that stuff. When you get into the high end of that stuff, is uh, you know monthly payments or quarterly payments, and you know thousand dollars a month, two thousand dollars a month, five hundred a month, whatever. I think it just kind of. I think the family's financial situation a lot of times can dictate where what they can afford, which, in the end, results dictates who they can afford. So, I don't know. What do you think, Ernest?
3: yeah i think it's uh you know it's individual to everybody i i never really got into the monthly thing a ton. you know we we have gotten into the monthly thing more in the last two or three years i feel like that's an oklahoma thing um i've kind of learned from kind of how a couple of those guys do it uh but but once again you know that's that's a hard commitment for a lot of people so you got to really gauge the commitment level of people that you're helping and kind of where they're at um you know i've done it a different way all sorts of different ways and, and that's probably not good because in business you should be consistent you know but uh, i've always tried to look at every family individually and think like what can allow them to have the most success and um you know i can think back to you know i keep using kenneth as an example i can remember back when he was showing and i can remember back when matt conant was showing and i can remember back thinking about like when adam used to help matt and and i can i can remember back to like when i was helping rico and and like that was not like that was not really uh like like 17, 18 years ago, it was more like your ag teacher helped you or you had a breed your the breeder you bought your animal from helped you. You didn't really have like I can remember going to Arizona National and not having a supplement. And um, you know, my breeder at the time, you know, just kind of thought I was an idiot, you know, like why wouldn't you have that? But I was like. 14 at the time, like, I didn't remember all my stuff, like like my dad didn't, you know, I didn't, he didn't pack the trailer, I mean, he was like, we're leaving at 6, I'm like, alright, get it all done, so now, fast forward now to today, you have a lot, you have so many levels of help now, and and, like, you're coming in, and mom may be involved, mom may not be involved, dad may be involved, you know, dad may know a lot, he may have shown a lot himself, there may be like a family friend that helps, so all these all these programs have different levels and you know like you know using the odell's just for example and, and not getting into like their personal stuff but like they worked at my barn like they did a lot of work at my barn so like i'm not going to go over here and charge these people and stick it to them and say like hey man you got to pay me this you got to pay me that jack and kyle were busting their tails cleaning pins every day we, they would they would I'm like hey we got people to load here at this time they would come help load animals hey we got feed in, Let unload, but then there'd be other families, maybe like four, like 30 minutes away in Sonoma. I, I'd i check like five or six animals. I wouldn't make it a big deal to like charge them individually. But then like, if I had a family down in Tulare or Porterville, man, that's like four and a half hours from Napa, man. Like I got eight hours of driving. Like I need, I need some fuel money here. So like, I never was like going to charge To go over to, like, a close county in Marin, the same as what I would charge to fly to someone in Colorado or Kentucky or something like that. So I always really try to just look at each person individually, make it fair. I will say, looking back in hindsight, if I was to be completely open and honest, and I told you guys I would be open and honest in this, I should have done the monthly thing from the very beginning in in my business. And I agree with the way the Okies do it. That, and I know it's probably done – someone in the Midwest may see this and be like, well, we, we do it that way, you know. And, and, but my point being is the Okies charge that number monthly. They get a day rate at the shows. And, um, you know, they have a very structured way of how they do it. And, um, and I like it. And I think it's, it's self-explanatory. And I think families understand it. And I've had families even offer to do it. And then I kind of didn't do it. So I'm still sticking to what I started with. And maybe that makes me an old head, but I am kind of old now on this. Uh, I, I just look at each family individual and I think, what, h- how do I want to handle this? And 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 I don't ever have to explain myself to anybody, but I always got to explain myself you know, to myself. Like, is this fair to this person? Is this fair to that person? It's no different like Steve. Steve's a customer of mine. But at the end of the day, Jack helps him and Jack's kind of his guy. So I don't really get involved in like I know nothing about what him and Jack do. And we and we don't need to bring that up, Steve. So when you start talking, don't talk about that. I'm just using it as an example that that's the correct way to handle you. Why do I need to get involved in what Jack and Steve already have working? So uh but I like the okie Way the best. I think they're the best and, and and I think they do the best. And there's a lot of them in California now. And they're doing a great job with a ton of families all over the state. And that's why that's growing. And and that's why it's so prevalent right now in the state, because that model is really successful. And it's not just successful for some of those families that they're helping. Those same fitters in for some of those families, they're having success all across the country. So if it wasn't working or it wasn't the right way, then uh, it wouldn't be good. So if families out there are hearing that, like, hey, I'm going to have someone help. He wants to charge a monthly rate. My advice to them would be, you know, don't, don't get weirded out by that. The top-level families see that now and understand it and pay it. But, you know, we got to get some awareness out there for some of the families trying to break in, trying to learn about this, understanding that, that that's a standard, you know, way of business. And, uh, and it's a successful business. And a lot of families in the state are doing that and, and having great success at it.
2: Yeah, I think it definitely, uh, you know, depends on the situation and family. You can approach that situation differently, uh, you know, per family and uh, kind of figure out what's going to work best for you. Um, Since we're on this topic, you know, it it seems like every other jackpot or, you know, every other time that we go out, you know, we see new guys helping new families. And then, you know, following weekend or two weekends later, you know, those people aren't working together you know uh these we see a lot of guys come and go i mean why is that are these families not having enough success are they getting tired of getting beat um you know these these jocks that are helping them are they taking advantage of them what do you what do you think the reasoning for you know some of these guys coming and going and you know families jumping ship uh you know back and forth and and uh you know getting on on with different crews kenny
4: Uh, I mean, I think you kind of answered the question in the question. As far as success, I think, has is a part of it. And with guys charging, you know, I mean, some of those guys charge quite a bit of money. Um, You know, they don't have the success with family A, but they have the success with family B. And, you know, family A is like, well, hey, we didn't win. so But you were one with your other family. So we're going to jump over to so-and-so who fed us a, a good story and painted the grass pretty green on this side. Um, And I think, you know, I think there are guys that take advantage of guys. They come in or advantage of families. They come in and they make the money off of them and, you know, have a big win to begin with. And then, you know, you see that family sixth, seventh, seventh, eighth in class, ninth in class after that. And I think that, I don't know. um, I think it kind of goes back to like today's world on um, loyalty. It's, it's not as common as it once was, um, you know, on people just staying with the process and understanding that there, you know, there is at times a pecking order on, Hey, you know, this is, this family has been here for this long. Like our goal is to win this show with them. And then you kind of win it with whoever else is there with, you You know, you kind of cycle through things. Um, I don't, I think people are so worried about getting to the top immediately that they, they lose the loyalty and they just want to jump to the next ship that promises them, you know, everything they ever wanted. And then they learn real fast that they uh, jumped onto a sinking ship or one that uh, was going to kick them off at the next exit.
2: Yeah. Famous words of Adam and Don's a trust the process.
4: Yeah. Yeah. Just so you know, Jace, if you do watch this, you were not the first one to come up with that.
3: (laughs) Ernest, what do you got to say? I, uh, you know, I remember actually when my first, person who was ever a customer um left me and uh, i was moping at at Cobb's, and uh steve cobb was like what are you moping about and i'm like oh this family i helped they left me and and uh i'd gone you know like nine years without ever losing a family you know even though the first six or seven was just one person but then the next couple you know it there was there was quite a quite a bit there and then finally i i lost one and i was just so distraught over it and there was like a little bit of drama on social media and and, uh they went out and got like reserve granted a jack which i still remember this this is like a decade ago on facebook this is sad to remember this stuff but you know you just some things and some memories you never forget and this person commented on it and they're like oh yeah see you don't need that overrated yahoo and they're probably right you know but uh you know You think about, uh, I think now looking at it, like I have my own family now. And like at the time I didn't have, have a family. Like when I was first dealing with some of these emotions of like the, 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 uh, the disappointment of, of, uh, of like some people that you've worked with. And you know, what I've learned about trading pigs and I can only speak about it from a pig trading standpoint, can't speak about it from a pig breeding standpoint. And I can't speak about it from a family standpoint, and I can't speak about it from a few others. But as a pig trader, I've just come to accept that I have no leverage in the situation. You know, I don't control the animal that's being bred. So if that breeder wants to, you know, work more with someone else or that family leaves and they want to work directly with that family, like, I don't have any control over the animals. And the animals ultimately, to a degree, are kind of like the athletes here. You know, you can, you can know all the X's and O's humanly possible, but if you don't got a great pig, I don't care how good a feeder Kenneth is. He needs a good animal. So then once you have the good animal, you need a great family. Well, you know, now 17 years into this, I've, I've gone every possible direction. You can go with a family up, down, sideways, backwards, forwards to the moon, never even got out of first gear. You know, and, uh, and I've just learned that families have to make the best decision for themselves. You know, if they feel that, that we can generate success for them and that we're not having success, then we need to, like, talk, figure it out. Like, let's get comfortable. If, um, if we're having great success and, um, and we're doing good and, and we're at the, you know, the level that we want to be at, then, then what, what, do we, what can we do better? And uh, and all I can ever say is is, is it, it never feels good when someone goes another direction, but families have to make the best decision for themselves. They have to if they think they can have more success in another way, then um, then they have to go do that. The one thing I will say, and this isn't like an excuse for the you know the people in my side of the business, but pigs suck. Like you got to understand, nine times out of ten whatever you think is going to happen or wherever you're going to go, the service might be exactly the same, but I promise you that pig's not going to get any better. It's hard even for, for people who have a lot of money or a lot of help or a lot of knowledge or a lot of everything. It's hard for them to generate success because think about it. Think about, I always tell people to think about it this way. When these animals are for sale and, and people are buying them, those pictures and the lighting and the videos and what they sell for and the write-ups and their mama won this and their daddy sold for this and, and all the hype. Isn't it amazing how we get to the end of these hog shows and the judge really only felt good about maybe like one, possibly two, maybe three? That should just let you know that whoever was helping the other 99% of that show, their guy failed them too. So don't look at your guy and think just because your guy didn't get it, didn't get it done for you that, that he's the problem. It's really hard to raise a good show pig. And I'll close with this. My daughter had four jackpot pigs after we got reserved or third overall bronze Chester at Tulsa this fall. We were fired up to jackpot this spring. Dad got four pigs. They all sucked so bad we didn't even show them. That's my own child. That's my own child. And I felt really good at for two of those, for two of those animals. And one of them, and I'll just be completely open and honest, was a $10,000 guilt that a guy who bought it didn't want to raise it, but he just bought it. And he's like, you go ahead and feed it out. One of them was a $10,000 pig didn't even feed. So three pigs dad found and one $10,000 pig that just fell into my lap at the sale. I'm like, oh, wow, this is awesome. I'll take this home. I couldn't get a pig good enough for my own kid to go show. So luckily, though, what I've learned, my kid can't fire me. So I, she is stuck with me. Everyone else can make a different decision, and I, I applaud anyone to go whatever route they feel is going to generate success for them and, and makes them feel comfortable.
4: Before we leave this, uh, I would like to say, like, just don't forget there's always another family waiting. Like, no matter how good of a family you think you are or where you think you rank on whatever list you want to put yourself on, there's always someone willing to do the
1: exact job or a better job that you're doing.
4: Like, it's there's always someone else waiting in
1: line. I love the answers from both you guys. Uh, hey, th- real quick, Steve, real quick. Steve, real quick.
3: But you know what's sad, Kenneth? What's sad, though, Kenneth, is that, like, I agree with you, but why why should that have to be the message that's sent? I agree with you completely. Why can't the families talk about it? What I've learned in this business nine times out of ten is they leave you and they never talk to you about it. They never had that conversation of, like, all right, what do we got to do? What do we got to figure out? The best family, that the best families that I've ever had, I had conversations where we had where we stumbled and we figured it out. We figured it out. And I'm not going to mention names, but I can remember those meetings. I can remember sitting in one of my clients' backyards and him tell me, "We're going to get someone involved a little more to learn how to feed." I can remember meeting at a Mexican food restaurant with one another one saying, "Hey man, we underperformed. What do we got to do?" The best families I ever had, they didn't need to be kind of like, you know, kind of feared into like oh yeah we uh we got another person coming up because you're right you always have another person coming up but like the advice that i give to families that are like trying to figure out what to do is don't just bounce out and lose all the progress you've created with this person because guess what ken right there is another person waiting and they're not going to lose their progress because they're going to keep steady working i would advise any family that's 50 50 on where they're at with someone, sit down, put your honest feelings and thoughts out on the table. And if that person's not willing to hear you then, well then they're just a sorry ass. Okay? And if, if someone hears you say, hey, and anytime someone's ever slowed me down and been like, dude, we got to figure this out. This is what's gotta happen. Honestly, I've always I've always tried my hardest because I, I respect that. I respect it's like when you hear in sports having a players only meeting. I feel like that's a players only meeting right there. Like you guys are getting it on the table and, and figuring it out. But Kenneth's right. These families that bounce out and don't have anything to say they're And they're off texting, figuring something out on the side. The family that didn't, the family that makes that move nine times out of 10 takes four steps back because they got to do all new stuff to figure it out. Like they might get it going in a year or two, but it takes them a little time because the new system takes a little while to get going. When the family that stayed loyal that might have been, you know, just chugging away, they they uh they don't lose their progress and boom, they're they're lapping the field, you know, in in four or five months.
1: So when we decided to go with Ernest, I had never heard that story about how sad you were that you lost your first client. My you know, Ernest helped put the first Audible on when they canceled State Fair. And so my son had listened to a different podcast and, and heard Ernest on there. And at our county fair, Ernest didn't sell any pigs there. And so he calls up Ernest and, and uh, he ends up buying like a voucher or something at some auction. And um, so then obviously it's COVID, so they cancel everything. And so we buy a Duroc for that fall season. And we show up to get this Duroc and uh yeah, you know, we've never had anybody help us at all. Like we bred pigs in our backyard and we know absolutely nothing about livestock at all. And Ernest says, "Hey, so like I sold you this pig, but Jack's going to be your guy." And at the time Jack's like 16 and a half. <clears throat> and I was like, "No, like no, I, I I came to you like so I could have you. And, and you were like, yeah, well, you're not going to get me. You're going to get Jack. But so like Jack's your dude. And, uh, I can just remember like sitting in the truck being like, we did all this stuff and I don't even get an earnest. I get a Jack. And to be totally honest, I could not, I could not ask for anything better. You know, Jack's one of my best friends and, and E, like I said, like you always take such good care of us and, Every, the first show we went to, you were there and you treated us like we were $10 million customers and we had bought one single Duroc and, and uh, you know, you could, I mean, you'll vouch, but you could ask anybody. I'm probably one of the most loyal people around just, just in general. And, and we've lucked out and had some success at some national shows and that kind of thing. And so I totally agree with the quote, trust the process. And just stick it out and, and all that kind of thing. So when we move on to the next question, it would be feeders and breeders. What's the price difference and what's the expectation, but I'm going to add in the next question with it. Also, what role do you think that the feeders and breeders should have with these kids as far as like um, in the barn videos, all of that type of thing. <laughs>
3: I think that's all just got to be discussed. I mean, your expectations, you know, your expectations got to be discussed. And because and, like some people have different time constraints. The reason why the feeders have gotten popular is because the breeders are maxed out with their responsibilities to farm, you know. So uh, I think it's just really important to set expectations and to uh, and to kind of know what uh, to kind of know you know, what's being asked and, uh, and, and then, you know, you got to think about what you're starting with. You know, if you're, if you're a feeder or a breeder and you're starting with a family that, you know, needs a lot of work, I mean, you got to put in a lot of time, you know, but like say you start off with a family that's really good, you know, then, you know, like, Hey man, I just got to get them a really good pig. So I think it's really important for both sides to kind of be looking at what they're starting with and, and what their expectations are and what their goals are.
4: Yeah, I think Ernest answered it as good as you could on that. It's all based off of an expectation and where you're at. And I think, like, you know, to touch on what he said about, you know, like the guys raising these things are – I mean, they're busy. You know, the ones that do it full-time are busy day in and day out from dark to dark. And, you know, they don't have as much time as a guy that, you know, their job is to feed them and go to shows and get them right. Um, So, I mean, I think it's – like you you just – you have to know your expectations i think feeders have expectations on what they expect families to do families have expectations on what you know they want to get out of it you just make sure it makes sense for everybody and works for both parties and you know go from there
2: yeah for sure so hey steve you want to you want to jump on and ask your your next question here real quick i'll follow up with the following one
4: hold up
1: Hello, welcome to Livestock Live. Today we have Sadie Vigno for our exhibitor spotlight. Um, in episode five, I believe, she was the intro. We recorded that when we were at Red Wave slash The Great Western. And then she proceeded to go out and win senior showmanship, beating my son. And then she beat Maddie Lindley and turned out to be the champion overall showman. And Maddie Lindley was the reserve champion showman who was the exhibitor spotlight last week in episode seven. So Sadie, welcome.
0: Thank you. Thank you for having me. Happy to be here.
1: (laughs) Um, So the first time we met, we were at the, I guess it'd be the first Monterey Bay show and you kind of took a a handful of of smaller kids out in the ring and you even let some of them show your pigs and did like a little showmanship clinic in in the ring can you tell me a little bit about that and what you remember about it and that type of thing
0: yeah what was it like three years ago it was a while ago I, I think it was one of my first jackpot shows that I ever went to and I think you were there and and I was like, oh my gosh, like I'm going to practice showmanship. So we went out to the show ring and then everybody just started coming up and we're like, oh, we're going to have a little, a little class of showmanship and uh, we're going to see how this goes. And um, there were like other younger kids and I let them walk my pig. Like I, I didn't mind at all. Like it's, you know, it is what it is. It's all for helping younger kids get better. And I think that's the first time I met you and I was like, man, like, he's really funny. And then that's when you're like, oh, Miss Vino. So every, the whole weekend you'd be like, hi, Miss Vino. And, And it was just funny, but I have like vivid memories of that show. But that was like the first time that I really did like either like a small showmanship clinic and then like also meeting you at the same time.
1: Yeah, that was cool. Um, that was, so my sons made the, the top five twice ever and um so the day after so day two of that monterey bay he ended up being the reserve junior showman i want to say um behind isaac lewis's brother and then and then the second time was just that at this show when he was um fifth overall senior and this is first time shown in seniors so i thought that was good and for people who don't know me i i cheer for every single kid no matter who you show for what species um if your parents a jerk or not a jerk i'm just i'm just really pro um making making better kids and making this generation better and that type of thing so um outside of livestock What are some things that you're involved in?
0: Um, When I was in high school, I just graduated this year. So when I was in high school, I was heavily involved in FFA. And growing up, I was super involved in 4-H livestock. Like my whole world and my whole life revolves around livestock. Um, But in high school, um, I started jackpotting. It was like right when COVID hit. And I started doing these online Walton webcasting shows, and I saw like progress within like a few weeks, which that felt really good. But then looking back at the first videos, I'm like, "Ew, like I showed like that? Like that's not like I would kind of cringe at the, at the at the point of me showing like that." Um, so it was super weird, but you know, practice makes perfect, right? Um, and then I did a little bit of oh, I hate even. I was a little bit of a theater kid in middle school and high school um, until I got super competitive with pigs and I started jackpotting and then that chapter of my life ended Um, and then I just came became uh, fully devoted to showing animals and last year at state conference I won the state of California for swine production entrepreneurship that was a big deal and then I ended up um, getting ninth in the nation.
1: Wow congratulations that's insane i uh I didn't know that fact that's that's pretty cool
0: yeah I started my own breeding operation it's it's a tiny one, but you know what you gotta start somewhere right?
1: yeah, I don't think a lot of people realize um how hard it is to get these things bred. My son did a breeding project um a few years ago and you know, it's no joke dealing with baby pigs and trying to get a mom stuck and trying to get semen that's fine. And um, it's it's no joke. So for real, my hats off to you for for that part. What uh, okay. what achievements or achievement do you think helped shape your success?
0: The first ever like big showmanship win that I had was at the revival last year in 2023 and i think that like really pushed me even more to work harder because the revival is a huge show and to even you know get in top 5 or top 10 of showmanship there is is absolutely insane and that's an accomplishment in itself but i think winning the revival last year made me want to work harder and you know help younger kids more because the only way you're going to get better, at least for me, is when I teach kids, it only makes me a better showman because I have to follow my own advice. So I, I think the revival really like was the, was the jump start and was like the pushing point of like, you know, you're big time now, you know?
1: Yeah, for sure. That's, uh, the revival is no joke. It's, I mean, it's so big now that it had to move to Paso and Um, I, rumors are that there's going to be 1500 head of, of hogs there. So I can only imagine.
0: That's going to be a crazy amount.
1: Um, if you could speak of shows, if you could put on a livestock show, what would it be called? And where would it be?
0: Oh, that's a good one. And I got to be creative now. Um, I think if I were to hold it. Probably be in Paso. I mean, Paso is like super close to me, it's only like 50 minutes from my house, so I'd probably hold it in Paso and then the name of it. Uh, I don't know, I don't know, it'd have to be um, all the other names are like super cool. I don't know, mine would probably be like just some dumb name, the hog show, the pig show.
1: The hog show at Paso. (laughs) The hog show at Paso. (laughs) Well, you can think of it, and then I'll ask it at the end again. Okay. I'm Uh. trying to think of one. (laughs) (laughs) So, what is the best show that you've been to, and why?
0: You know, Arizona is always a show that I always look forward to. Like, Arizona Nationals. Just because there's so many people from different states, and it's so cool to see, like, what they feed their pigs are like like just all the different things that different states do and the trends in the different states I would say Arizona, but then also the revival like the the final drive and the the drive night at the revival is top notch like it is it is quite insane with the lights like they put a whole show together production
1: yeah what? What show have you not been to, but you really want to go to?
0: I really want to go to Gold Rush. I haven't, I've never been to Gold Rush and I've heard that it's a, it's a really fun show and there's lots of people that go. I think next year I'm going to try to hit that
1: show. So no joke. It's like an hour from my house. However, it is, it is probably one of the most friendly parent-friendly shows that is put on really oh at 100 percent um the facilities are the facilities are really good all of the pins are brand new the ring is brand new um you have an entire set of fairgrounds the gold rush is i mean it is it's awesome no like being totally serious they have a big they have a big tri-tip dinner um, that you can pay for when you do your entries. And mm-hmm. and so, like, you just walk into this building and, like, dinner for four is done for, like, 65 bucks. They slice the tri-tip and everything for you. They have, like, a huge raffle. And have you listened to the, um like, Banners and Buckles episode yet?
0: No, I don't think so.
1: So listen to that episode and then... And like we talk about Gold Rush in there, but for real, Gold Rush is one of my favorite my favorite shows for sure.
0: I'm going to have to put that one in the books for this coming year because everybody says it's so fun and it's so good. And I'm like, man, we just haven't haven't made our way up there yet.
1: It's Arizona on a on a smaller schedule. Okay, like a smaller scale. Mm -hmm. Um, So everybody has like their ideal animal, right? So mm-hmm. what's your ideal breeding animal? And then what's your ideal market animal? Like what breed? What's it look like? Like what's the best features in it?
0: Oh, that's a good question. I didn't know I was going to be asked these questions, man. <laughs> um, I guess I would say breeding animal, one that's one that looks like a female, one that's big, one that's one that's broody, ones that, you know, look like she can carry a, a large litter. Um, I'm not really specific on breeds. I don't care what you look like as long as you give out good pigs, um, but there is you know certain breeds where I'm like, yeah, no, I don't want to have any of you. Like, don't get me wrong, Chesters and Chesters are cool, but, hey, they're a little psycho. Same thing with Yorks. Um, have the same feelings about them. Um, I think for market animal, and there's so many, there's so many trends out there that I think it's hard to narrow it down to a few that you're like yeah that's exactly what I want um honestly don't care about the breed but I don't I don't know why but I am like my eye gets attracted to like light crosses like no joke like I love looking at light crosses I don't care how good the other ones look I just have a weird preference of always looking at those light crosses
1: are you like a stout feature you like a skull person are you like a tail set person like I'm attracted
0: to the tail set like like the high tail set like that is like man you know that thing's gonna be a good pig like doesn't matter what the rest of or like doesn't matter what stage they are in at the moment like you're like man like that thing's gonna be good when it's big you know
1: yeah I totally agree um what's your favorite animal that you've ever had
0: Like dog, cat, horse, whatever.
1: No, like show animal, but I guess we could do both. (sighs)
0: Um, show animal, like show breed.
1: No, like what, like what pig or or whatever has been like your favorite?
0: Like, what? Oh my gosh, I can't even begin. There's been so many. Um, I still actually have this pig yeah I still have this pig. so i got a I got a herford from Grady genetics um a few years ago. and she when we got her from Bob May, she was twenty six pounds, like she was a little one, and uh, we got her here, and I named her May. and I still have her. She's actually in my barn now. We've been trying to breed her. Um, but her like personality and the way she is and the way she acts is just like. Oh my gosh, I got to fall in love with this pig. But I guess it's hard to choose one favorite animal because I love them all. Even the ones that are stubborn and a pain in the butt to deal with. I love them all, you know?
1: (laughs) I think even if we record a thousand episodes, you're going to be like the only person that says my favorite show pig ever is a Herford. (laughs)
0: I would just (laughs) say like personality-wise. I would say personality-wise.
1: So what's your go-to wash rack song slash playlist? Give me two or three.
0: Oh my gosh. Songs? Wait, am I able to look at my playlist on Zoom? Yeah. Okay. I'm gonna look. Cause I okay, before I go into showmanship, I have this showmanship playlist that I never listen to like on my music normally, but I only listen to it on showmanship day. So, so I don't get like bored of the songs. Like they have to be pump ups, you know?
1: Really? Yes. I'm not tech savvy, but is it on Spotify? Yeah. I'll send you Charlie's number, and maybe you could send it to Charlie, and I'll try to link it in the episode.
0: Okay. So one of my number one songs that I always listen to, and I have my noise canceling AirPods, and they're always on blast. Um, I listen to Crazy Train by Ozzy Osbourne that one's a good one Um, I'm not really a rock person but when it comes to showmanship day I'm a rock person um, I would say crazy trains one of them I listen to a lot of Michael Jackson on showmanship day like bad yes that's a good one I listen to Britney Spears like oops I did it again like, oh man that's a good one too <laughs> All right, my show was
1: just play with this. they're all over the place. That's hilarious, but that's the uh, point of them. <laughs> so what are we naming What are we naming this jackpot? Oh, man,
0: we're naming this jackpot livestock live jackpot.
1: <laughs> oh my God, <laughs> I would name it that well, Sadie, thanks for coming on. I appreciate it a bunch.
0: You're welcome. I loved being
1: on it. We'll see you here at Western Bonanza in like 24 hours. Two
0: days.
3: And now we return you to our regular scheduled program in progress. (laughs)
0: Um,
1: We kind of briefly touched on it, but if you guys have anything else, um, is there an order for show families? Does it rotate? Who gets the best one if you all purchase from the same person and can you talk about loyalty to a breeder, regardless of success?
3: You know, i i always uh, I always thought this stuff was interesting. You know, I, uh, you know, families think there's like a a pecking order. You know, let's say families or people are trying to say, oh yeah, you know he he gets his best ones to so and so. Well, you ever gone to a pig breeder and and you know you know how you get their best ones? Usually, she got to be able to have the most money to buy the best ones. Well, nine times out of 10, you know, if I'm finding a pig, you know, uh, I'm, I'm in line to get a pig from the breeder. You know, the breeder has got a bunch of people they're selling to, they're selling to some feeders, some ag teachers directly to families, so on and so forth. So the ability to acquire these, these hogs is difficult. And then when you get them in, you know, these things, there's so, there's such a, a spectrum to them. Like when you're in the business and you've done it, you know, like Kenneth and I, and you've seen a group of pigs, and you've seen 10 or 12 of these things. Yeah, there's a pig in there. You're like, yeah, I like that one a lot. How often is that the one that beats the best? It's rare. It's rare. So families, here's what they say, and here's what they really want to say. What families really want to say more than, well, he's given so-and-so the best one. What families really want to say is, if you knew which one was going to feed the best, would you give it to me? Okay? They, they want us to know that. And then on top of paying us, they expect us to know that. But that gets back to what I said about my own daughter's pigs. With show pigs, there's a degree of signing up to not knowing what's going to happen. Like, I know people who put 15, 20, 25 pigs on feed. And they get down to, like, one or two. Can you imagine if they didn't have those one or two? They'd be showing those other 23 that stunk. Okay. So I think, you know, what you try to do with all your families is gather a good set of pigs. You try to gather some hogs that have some different parts and pieces. You try to gather pigs that represent qualities that you've seen have success before. And, and by doing that, you're hoping that you're going to be able to manage those animals and feed them and get better. Uh, So I, I don't know, like, Now, if anyone's legitimately good enough to look at their set of pigs and know which one's going to win to that judge five months down, then I guess they do have the magic eight ball. But I was never really that good to know exactly which one was going to feed out of a population. And, you know, if I hunted pigs for like, let's say State Fair back in the day, big, you know, I used to revolve my whole spring around that. If I looked at five, 600 pigs in that time, of ones that I actually like considered as a decent pig, they were probably in a population of thirty five hundred. And you you actually got maybe twenty-five of those pigs purchased of the ones you liked. And and then you spread those around and, and you tried to get them in good hands and and um and and you wanted them to feed well. But I I can only remember maybe a couple times in my life where I saw a pig and I said, that pig's going to win right there. Like maybe three times, three times in 17 years, I saw an animal and I said, that pig's going to win. And, and I can actually specifically say all three of those situations, the people who bought them were the only ones who could afford them. I didn't choose where they went. The people who bought them like that, they're the only ones that could afford them. So nine times out of ten, when you have a nice little skinny green one and it does well, like, take Jack's pig that got bronze at CYU that one year. Like, that was a no-bid barrel in the sale. Like, nobody bid on that animal. And then I got him. I didn't know he was going to be a bronze barrel at CYU. He was no-bid. He had some neat pieces. Jack raised the living heck out of him, and he did well. But people want to believe that you knew that the whole time, that you had that, like, rigged up. But I, I just think like anyone who trades these things and sells them understands that like it's really hard to know. It's really, really hard. To, that's why you just can't do guarantees in this business either. It's just really hard to know what they're gonna do. And and and, and you get to the end and then you kinda see where the cards fall. And it's disappointing sometimes for some people and it's exciting for others and and those are hard, hard situations to be in because people have you know really high expectations at these shows yeah um
4: i don't know for me i think there's i think there's an order in families um but you know kind of tag on to what ernest was saying is i think a lot of the order is set by what you know where a family is financially um can they afford the ones that are have the elite pieces to you know be there at the end um but it, i i think it also goes to like do they have the right facilities do they do a good enough job do they listen like they're supposed to and way like they're supposed to and feed and give shots and everything else like they're supposed to so um you know to get them shown right i think it's there's an order that i think the families in a way set themselves um you know obviously the family that does the best job can afford the best pig You try to put the best one in their hands, Um, you know, but I think the families, in a sense, set the order themselves. Um, And then I also think you, you know, if you have families that can are at the same level, you know, I think if you're you're in this thing, you're you're you got to be smart enough to say, okay, well, let's try to win this with you guys and this with, you know, this family and, you know, know what those families goals are. And then, you know, you kinda of set your order on I mean, trying to win a breed at CYE is nowhere close to as hard as it is trying to win the crossbred bread deal. You know, so it's you set those set those orders, you know, accordingly, the family's goals and where they rank on, you know, the depth chart, I guess. Um and, you know, a loyalty to a breeder, regardless of success, I think is something that has gone to the wayside in the last 10 years, just because of online sales and the availability. Um, I mean, anybody can buy a pig any day. I mean, there's what, three or four sales going on right now. I mean, it's, you can get on there buy whatever you want. Um, so I think, you know, I think there's obviously still people that, you know, buy from the same guy, no matter what they do year in and year out. And that's what they're always going to do. And I think there's other people that aren't afraid to buy ones that they think are the ones that they need and, you know, go from there. But
1: we briefly touched on it earlier as far as when we were talking about revival and CYE and that kind of thing. Um, So DNA is kind of trash and there's a ton of ways around it. Do you think honestly they check the champions and how would you prove ownership if you had a show and you had to do um ownership or do you think it doesn't matter and we should just like pull a revival and just show whatever we have
3: You know there are a lot of ways around DNA I mean um I think it's a it's an it's the right thing to try to do, but there's ways around it. Like if you really wanted to to do it, you know, you know, in Revival's case, if they did DNA, I think it would, excuse me, I think it would hurt their entries, you know, and they're, and they've got such a head of steam with their entries right now. It's incredible. You know, how many pigs they have on site there. And, and uh, so I don't know. I mean, I, I think each show has got to kind of think about what they want to do. Um, you know, I, I do believe, that for these market hog shows, you know, where there's a sale at the end, um, you know, it's it's not the right thing to just show up with the animal. You know, like Kenneth said, tw- twelve hours. You know, like the stuff we see. You know, so uh, I uh, I think the DNA is the right thing to do. But yeah, obviously there's more there's more things you can do. I know, like back in the day at Arizona National, I can remember when I signed up, you had to take a picture with your hog. And, uh, that was like, you know, that was a thing, you know, and, and you had to, and, and your picture had to be, you know, uh, you know, explicitly aware that that was that animal. So like, if you had a solid black pig, you know, you would need to get maybe like a part of its ear in the photo or something like you, you had to be able to show that that was your animal, you know, or if it was a chromed up hog then it had a specific, you know, marking. So, uh, you know, um, DNA is commendable. You know, uh, but you know, jackpot shows are jackpot shows and and who shows up and and numbers and if you can just do that, you know, you're gonna be willing to reach out and find the animal and, and uh because uh you know, there's nobody that's gonna celebrate any different, whether they had sixty day ownership or twelve hour ownership. If they win it, they're they're gonna be pumped.
4: Yeah, for sure. Um yeah, the DNA deal kind of sucks. Um I don't know if they always check. I guess it depends on where you're at. Um, like proven ownership is hard. Uh, I think the only way, I mean, really the only way you could do it is if like you took a video with the animal, uh, with the kid in it or something. Um, I mean, picture you can edit. I mean, you could obviously edit a you know, video with an animal also, but, um, I think it'd be harder to, you know, if you had to video it with the kid and the pig and the ear tag or something, but I mean, there's nobody that's there's not a lot of county fairs or big shows that are going to go do that. Um, Yeah, I don't I don't know. I think you just open a can of worms. I mean, it's we all have the ability to go back to those deals and buy them and bring them out and do what you know, do what everyone else does. So it's either you go full cowboy on that deal or you got to figure out something to prove some ownership at some of that stuff but i don't know it's kind of hard to prove unless you do some type of a video or something
2: well it's like i mean a lot of these shows you know they they want to do you know the dna and they want you know some of them do the pictures and things like that and it's, if you're going to do it then i mean let's do it let's do it 100 percent. you know let's let's make sure that ownership dates are, are on it and i mean let's not do it half ass right yeah i mean you can get DNA. I can get someone in Oklahoma or Texas to send me DNA or uh you know, whatever. We can take a picture of the pig, but I mean, how about how about sending ear tags out and then, you know, you gotta take a picture with that animal. Yeah, there's still ways around it, but it's uh it's a lot harder, you know. Um guys gotta try a little bit harder to uh, you know, make sure that, you know, their kid is is in that picture with that animal. So I think, you know, there's multiple you know, different ways, uh, you know, around that and, and beating the system just like anything else. So um, we kind of touched on it already, but what, what, what's your guys' thoughts on bringing, you know, these 200-pounders, these pigs that are ready to rock and roll there? I mean, just absolute ganks, you know, bringing them into California for, you know, these jackpots. I mean, um, you know, bringing them out for, for a jackpot or two and and, you know, you're done with them. You know, Kenny, what's your thoughts on that?
4: Man, if I had the ability to, ability to go do it, honestly, I'd do it. Um, I, I don't, for me, it takes away a part of it on going to the farm or a sale or whatever and picking them out at however big you pick them out. I don't care. Um, and seeing the whole process through. Um, but I mean, shit, we can all go do it. We can, all, we can all drive to OIE and buy the ones that don't go through the sale. And, you know, I mean, if a guy's back there and, he sold 300 of them to whatever show or whatever it may be. And he can go through there and pick the ones that he wants that didn't make the sale or they didn't put in the sale and bring them out here for, you know, a couple of days and more power to them. I wish I could do it just to, you know, have the ability to, but I, I don't like it, but I can't, you can't blame the guys that are doing it because if I could do it, I'd go do it.
3: Ernie. Yeah. You know, I, I, uh I'm not, I've not really been very successful at it. Like I, every time I try to do it, the one I get that doesn't win. <laughs> you know, man. I mean, if I, I, so I have no problem doing it. I, I just need to be better at it. You know, um, uh, but it, it's, it's all rules. You know, if it's a part of the rules, you know, if that show doesn't do DNA and and that's the rules, then it is what it is. You just got to get better at it. You know what I mean? And uh, you know, Aaron Cobb used to tell me all the time you got to beat them on the court you know you gotta you gotta just beat them the way it's done and um and that's the way it is so uh so yeah I mean I don't have a problem with it at all I mean um and then the people and you know what I think it actually like I think it actually creates a little bit of diversity in our in our project because a lot of the people who really think that way, I think they've struggled a lot maybe with getting like good small animals and like getting them good when they're big. So like they've been able to kind of make that their bread and butter and they, they do that maybe, or they think that way. And, um, and then they've been able to have some success with it because they're like, Hey man, I can, I can slip in the back door here and get a big one and it's kind of salt. And, uh, and like, I can ad- openly admit for my own daughter, that's been a great way for us to do it. Like we went to world pork expo with some big hogs from OYE. They were like already trained. They were like a lot of the work had been done and it was easier for my five-year-old to to maneuver with those animals versus like we get a little 50 pounder and I got a five-year-old girl trying to figure out how to show a 50 pound pig. You can just imagine how that goes. You know what I mean? So, uh, I, I think it, it's, it's to each their own. And as long as it's, it's in the rules and it's allowed, then it's fine. I definitely, you know, the obvious answer, I, I'm not cool with anyone on a DNA show just going and finding something. And, you know, like we had a hog at a county fair here recently in the last three years, probably would have got reserve grant. But an animal that didn't pass DNA beat us at that show. And that was the animal we were reserved reserve division behind. Had we won that division, we probably would have got a piece of the overall pie. So, like, that's a real nut kicker because even though, like, we move up in the placing, think about the difference in day you get or experience you get as a show family or a feeder when your kid gets left standing, like they're walking out there looking for reserve grand, but you didn't even get out of the gate because they used the champion hemp to win and you're the reserve cross still in the holster, and then they go and name the the champion cross reserve grand overall. Versus, like, say that kid does get named champion cross that day, they have a completely different experience. They're named champion cross in their division. They're going to the grand drive thinking they got a shot. They're walking around with a first string shot thinking they can win grand. They see the hamp win. Boom, their parents get to see them get named reserve grand. That's a completely different experience that that kid got. And you're never, you're never going to go back and change that. So like when, when you bring one in late to win a show that, you know, your DNA's not going to line up. You, you are a sorry ass in my opinion. I know we're not allowed to cuss, but that's
2: literally like the bottom of the barrel in my opinion. So, um, I kind of want to jump down, um, and get to the nitty and gritty of this, uh, We have a, we've got a question put on our sheet here. And, um, the question is, do the guys that come from the Midwest come out to California? Do they act entitled? And what's your opinion on that? Why do those guys think that they are so much better than us? And why do they come out and think that, I mean, they just absolutely rule the roost?
4: Um, I mean, if they come out here and win, I mean, they beat us, right? Um you got to beat them to, to stop them, I guess. I don't know how to put that poetically. Um, I don't know. I mean, I think guys come out here with the expectations that it's sorry ass California. You know, we're just going to go womp them. Um, I think we do a good job most of the time of proving them differently or at least making it competitive. Um, But guy comes out here with that attitude and wins like you got to, you got to stop him to shut him down and make him be quiet. So, I don't know. I mean, I guess it's kind of goes, like, back to what Ernest said about Aaron said about beating him on the court. Like, you want him to shut up? Like, make
2: him shut up. Yeah, but I feel like a lot of these guys, I mean, man, they come out here and it's, you know, like a cakewalk. I mean, we're still competitive out here. We got good shows, we got good pigs, and we got good showmen, you know? So, uh, I just feel like, you know, some of these guys come out like, They're they're gonna own you know the California jackpot circuit and and unfortunately like it's it's not like that every weekend.
4: Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of those guys figure out real fast that it's not as easy as they thought it was going to be. But at the same time, it's you know we have to do our job to make sure that it's not as easy as they thought it was going to be.
3: You know, I think it's all marketing a little bit to a degree. And even if it's not like you're not marketing like you think it's like marketing like, you know, you're doing an advertisement for the Super Bowl, but I just think it's like marketing. Like you gotta if you're from somewhere, you know, sheep, goats, pigs, cattle, there's a lot of people I see in airports now flying, like, hey, I'm going to fit it, Bonanza, going to fit it, CYE, going to fit it, state fair, going to fit it, this county fair. And these guys are coming in and, and and they're doing a job and uh some of that arrogance a little bit i mean i i think they i think those families feed off that like like we got a guy here that that's you know he know you know he's the real deal and and you know it's like it's like a, a you know an, a gun at a knife fight it's like we've got you know we got weaponry here that you guys can't touch and and i think everyone you know there's not a ton of like truly humble people that, that do this project in my opinion. I mean, there's some people that are proud. They're proud of how good they are. And they'll tell you, and I can remember one conversation from someone recently and him telling me how, you know, he owns this particular state. And I'm not saying California is another state. He's like, I own that state. And I just thought that was crazy to hear. I was like, dude, this thing can turn so fast on you. Like, your pig can suck. Like, this pig that you're probably really proud of, you know it can suck by tomorrow night. And so, like, anytime you, you see some of that bravado, Isaac, um, it's not, like, real. It's, it's just how that person's acting in that particular moment, you know, because they're trying to look a certain way. Like, anyone who's really good at this, like, when I think of the people who are really, really good at fit and stock, They're not out there, like, acting like God's gift. You know what I mean? Like, you know, like, Blaine, I'll use Blaine Rogers as a prime example. I used to always ask that guy before shows, hey, you got a pretty good one? And that sandbagging son of a gun, he'd be like, oh, nah, you know, I don't know, man. They're just, I don't know, man. This set just didn't feed how the last one fed. And these are back in the days, like, when his daughter Peyton was just beginning. And, um, man, he would kick our tails that day. Or, like, you know, he'd be helping a family, and they would win. He would never, he would never be the guy to tell you that he had the one. And I respect that, man. Because a lot of people in this business, you ask them if they've got a good one. Oh, and they tell you how great it is. And if it doesn't win, this judge is an idiot. And like you know, you say your hog did that good, then they're you know you're in a circle with them going, oh yeah, this judge can you believe how bad he was today? And you're sitting over there like, wait, my hog won today. I thought I thought the judge did good, and so like that's the stuff you deal with. Like you know, the mid level, low level guy that wants to get to the top level, he's gonna market himself. If the top level guy that's already up there. They ain't gonna say nothing, man. They're gonna do their talking with their animals. And the best, most talented guys I know do their talking with their animals, not not before the show or after the show, bad mouthing a judge.
1: I think that was I think that is very well said by both of you guys. Um, the next question is: So drinking at shows, do you think we drink too much, not enough, or just right? This is to include breeders, fitters. Parents, exhibitors, and at times drunk judges on the mic. <laughs>
4: um, I mean I think every now and again people take it too far. I've been there before and made an ass out of myself. Um I think for the most part it's relatively in check at most of these deals. Um I don't know, obviously you don't want to see any exhibitors drinking um that kind of puts a bad look on things when you know i know i've had guys that run shows call me and ask me hey did you see these kids drinking or did you see any kids drinking and there was reports of kids drinking and i mean for one if you're a kid that's high profile or does well that you just put a target on your back for someone else to someone else to call and you know the guy whoever's running the show and you know turn you in for it but um I don't know. I don't think there's an issue with you know having a beer or drink at a show, um, keeping in check, and don't make a fool out of yourself. But uh, I mean, I don't think there's any room in the game for the guy or girl that's sorting them with a mic in their hand to be drunk. That's kind of out of line. But I haven't had to experience that. But uh, I would say that they probably uh, shouldn't be called back to do that again
3: uh yeah i you know I look back in my early years and i I definitely had a lot of fun a lot of fun and uh I rarely drink really at shows anymore so i've had my own my own ebb and flow of just you know how I feel or what I want to do, but I think you know it's a kid driven activity and uh you know setting the right example and and you know what we say is important and when these shows are over, I think we're more likely to 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 get a little sideways when we've had too many and i've seen plenty of that and what what we'd say to a judge or what we'd say to a competitor or what we'd say about a hog and um i just think we got to remember at the end of the day that it's a kid-driven activity
1: how many boars are sold intact with the expectation that they're turned into a barrier but end up keeping their seed and becoming a herd boar or have some made-up pedigree that goes along with it
4: um, I would think it's not as many as it used to be. I would think a handful of years ago, that was probably fairly easy to do. Um, and now I guess I would imagine that guys are getting pretty heavy. I think what's will say don't like, if you, if you leave them intact, I'll come shoot the the pig and your dog or whatever. <laughs> will say something like that. Um, Jesus. Yeah. I mean, that's what he says. And then I I think I saw something on, I think it was Sanders is selling some Yorkshire boards, uh, today. And it says, you know, as the pedigree will be sold as, you know, a barrel. So, you know what I mean? Like you can't pedigree anything or register anything as that without, you know, getting some different papers or something. So I think guys have gotten pretty good at making sure it doesn't happen. Um, so I don't know if it happens. As, I mean, if it, if it happens more than I think it does, I guess I'm just not aware of it, but.
2: Yeah, I feel like they have it under wraps. I mean, those guys, you know, they put disclaimers on the sale, you know, sold as a barrow. He may still have the seeds in them, but, uh, you know, going to sell as a barrow.
1: At a major show in California, it's rumored that a breed champion was painted to match a certain breed standard, a Burke and another, one was a light cross what's your thoughts on this should we self-classify
4: uh i definitely i mean i think it's not an issue to self-classify but i think you have to have like a three-person panel uh when one is in question um you know i mean three three guys i mean you could use adam russell and james i mean those three are rex adam or you know rex russell and james those three are Usually always at a major show, we'll do that. Um, or if there's like, uh you know, like these two that are in question, I know both of them. Um, I mean, like the Burke, to be honest, like it, when I saw it, it reminded me of like when you're at Duncan and, and those things get sifted and the deal, you know, they get chalked, and they just ran the chalk right up its foreheads, what it looked like. Um And, you know, I mean, that one, I think, you know, I, th- I think it, what did it end up being reserve Burke, I think is what it was, or was it that- champion Burke?
2: It was, uh, it was reserve Burke
4: reserve. Right. And like that thing, I mean, it's reserve Burke, but like it gets throttled in the crossbred deal. And that's taking nothing away from the family that showed it. Um, like, it, you know, I mean it, I don't want, you know, them to get mad at me for talking about their pig, but like the thing doesn't make it in the dark crosses. Um, but you know, the light cross, I mean, like they just, you know, they paint the deal the you know, to where it covers up that, they make the black look blue or whatever they wanted to say about it. Um, but there's that one gets along in the darks. And I guess it's more annoying because you screwed families that were in the lights out of having, um, having a chance to be in that deal because you wanted to, you know, paint one to try to be cute with it. And it would have gone along in the division it should have been in. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, it's, I don't know. I don't understand why they, I mean, I, I get it. We all fit on them and do all that stuff. But like, the, I mean, the birth deal looks pretty bad. You know what I mean? <laughs> like to me, to me, it's like you look bad as the guy that's taking that, you know, like the guy standing behind him, you know, spraying them as they go in the ring. Like you look like an idiot. And then two, when the family gets all that negative pushback, like now, they feel embarrassed because now they feel like they look dumb for doing it, you know, but then uh, we also just taught other families like, Hey, it's okay to do that. Cause they want, you know? Um, so I don't know. I don't think it's, I think we should self classify like we do, but I think we should have a three person panel when there's one in question.
2: Man. How, I mean, Kenny, how hard is it to have three three guys stand in the ring and Everybody's got to go up and and turn their own weights in, anyways. So why can't we walk in the ring and have those guys classify? Then there's no question, right? Then it's three guys have to come come uh to an agreement on what breed that animal is going to show in. Like it's really not that hard. Yeah, uh, I just think it's.
4: I, I think like we don't weigh at most of these shows, right? Like we turn our own weights in at most of them. Um, so to have is that what you're saying Isaac to have everybody like when you come to come through the ring at the beginning of it or
2: everybody everybody when they get to a show everybody's going to check weight right if you turn your own weight cards in you're going to check weight on yeah you know, but like five...
4: at CYE where this happened, like nobody goes through the ring to check weight like we all go through the multiple scales that are placed in the barn um I just think if it I think when you're you have those guys around And one comes, like, we'll use the family that was from Bakersfield that had the black headed one in the light deal, right? Like, that pig, like, I know that family, you know, they were embarrassed that it happened. They were told to do it that way, you know, it's all they're just doing what they're asked to do. Um, We're standing there and it was brought up before it goes in. And they said, well, that's how they did it. If the judge doesn't like it, he'll move it when he's out there in the middle of the ring. So, like, why not say, hey, um, Tom, Larry, and Bo, come over here and classify this one for us. Like, is it a light? Is it a dark? Is it a hamp? You know, whatever it may be. And if two out of three say, "Hey, we're it's whatever breed it's in," we're good. I mean, it is what it is. Um,
2: yeah. I mean, it's just pure ignorance. So, I mean, if you're yeah, gonna do, I mean, it, if you're gonna paint one and try to get them in a certain breed, then I at least do it right. I mean, like you said, I mean, he, right. that, that pig looked like he went through the sift pen at Duncan, right? I mean, they just took a white chalk marker and I mean marked his forehead. I mean, it, it was uh pretty pathetic. I mean, I I was pretty fired up about it, obviously, as you know. I mean, because we had one in that Berkshire division and I mean we were already back at the pins and settled in. And by the time they, you know, they they made their decision, I mean, it was too late to even get back up to the ring. So um I mean pure, pure ignorance on on, you know, how some of these guys are are doing the things that they're doing. I mean obviously that pigs a dark cross obviously the dark cross that gets put in the light cross. I mean, you know, use paint and, you know, they lighten that pigment. Um, you know, what makes, makes it kind of look blue from, from afar. Uh, but in all reality, like that light cross, like you said, I mean, he gets along in the darks. So why not just put him in the darks and not make yourself look stupid or question that?
4: I think some of it honestly is arrogance. Um, and I, and I mean, I was, I'll be upfront. I didn't have, um, one that mattered in either breed, like I wasn't gonna win either breed. I don't. We didn't have a Burke, anyways. Um, but it's just it's it's frustrating um, when you're at a show that level that things that are that dumb happen. I mean, if you, you I mean, we, we all fit on them. Like, there's no question we all fit on them. You cover up a little bit of. <laughs> black on one to you know or white on one make it black do whatever it's all i mean it's a part of the game now i mean but like damn at least be good at it you know
2: exactly yeah put some time and effort into it you know
4: right yeah
2: for sure
1: so i uh i wasn't there but i did get a bunch of phone calls because we always have a burke in the barn we always have a burke on feed and um we had just got back from the Midwest show. And, and so we didn't, I mean, we just didn't have anything for CYE. And I got a couple texts and phone calls like, Oh my God, you'd be so mad right now. Like they just painted this um, black pig with four white feet. Like they just painted its face to make it a burk. And I was like, what? They like sent me pictures. and I was like, my first reaction was like, Oh my God, I feel so bad for that kid. And and to this day, like I still feel so bad for that kid and in that family, and I don't know if I don't know who did it. I don't even know who the kid is, to be totally honest with you. But I still feel for him. Um, I just my personal opinion, since we get to give our personal opinions on here. I think that big shows like that um, probably should be papered, just because it is such a big show and and it's such a big deal and you know we show we show purebred burks. like every single Burke that we show has papers and that's just who we get them from and and that type of deal and I'm all about like fitting them and painting them and and all that kind of stuff but I think that I think that I'm super over black pigs with four white feet or all black pigs that are getting painted to look like a Burke. Like, I think that, I think that if you have to work that hard to win a $12 banner that, that we're not teaching, we're not teaching these kids anything. And you could say that I'm the a-hole for saying it or whatever. And I'll be the first one to say, we started showing Burks because we can't really play in the crossbreds and that kind of stuff. But, um, it does chat my hide pretty good. Yeah, for sure. So Kenny, thanks for, uh, thanks for coming on a bunch. I appreciate it a lot. Um, earnest law service. I think we're going to try and we literally got through half of the questions that were submitted and on the list. So there's still some super good questions. We'll try to try to reschedule these guys on if you liked it. Um, Make sure to share it on Facebook and make sure to like it on whatever platform you're listening to. Uh, Make sure that you call in on the the number that's posted on all the social medias to leave your messages. And uh, thanks very much, Isaac.
2: Perfect day. Thanks, Kenny.
4: Yep. Thanks for having me, guys.
0: All right. Later. Thank you. Bye. I'm 3,600, and I have sold out 3,500. Thank you from Livestock Live. Have a great day.